0: as a family in a great place in our marriage. And uh, I think uh, really significantly, just so hungry and ready to serve Jesus together in this community as we uh, get into this year. Come load shedding, come whatever, uh, we're going to serve Jesus. So it's so delightful to to be back with you. Uh, Just in terms of the the announcement we've just seen, really want to commend to you um, the value of getting hold of that booklet. Uh, I've had a look at it. It's incredible. We're going to be spending a heap of time in the book of Mark this year. And while it's a good thing that a preacher gets up and unpacks uh, from the front uh, on a weekly basis, uh, you could just skyrocket your spiritual growth by personally engaging with the works and life of Jesus through the book of Mark. And so next week, come ready, uh, we have an inflation adjusted price, 25 bucks if you want a hard copy, incredible little book, uh, exactly zero rand and zero cents if you download a copy off the, uh, off the internet. Uh, we're looking forward to starting that journey together. I'm going to dive into uh, preaching and are really excited to continue along the vein of where Gareth and uh, Ant have been over the last two weeks. We really, as a, as a pastoral team, are feeling incredibly excited this year as a community about simplifying and focusing uh, on things that really matter. Uh, Two of those things being Sundays and life group, experiencing God together as he's uh, called us to on Sundays, experiencing God in community in and through our life groups. And so uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but uh, it's not truly the new year until the pastor disses New Year's resolutions from the pulpit. I don't know who else has ever noticed that. So I just thought I'd better get that out the way so we can really feel like the year has started and February can arrive. We have this fascinating uh, cultural phenomenon called New Year's resolutions. And I'm sure we all partake, I partake in these things. Uh, there's a great sense just of uh, December 31. Uh, we can even attach the gospel to it. You know, Jesus is just going to wash away all that is gone. And it's going to be new and fresh. And uh, there's going to be grace from heaven this year like never before. A dramatic change to the way we live. Uh, this, this cultural phenomenon is, 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 is uh, accompanied by a little bit of an in-house cultural joke. Hey, it's like, hey, it's January 2. Uh, have you broken your New Year's resolutions yet? Nobody like truly expects to live up to the fullness of the New Year's resolutions they make. The gyms are incredibly full for two weeks. Myself and my wife arrived at Mirandol for our New Year's resolution mountain bike ride yesterday. Park run, deluxe parking. Like, like by the time we got to the start line of the bike thing, just from the parking lot, we were exhausted. You know, the parking lot is absolutely packed. I was actually there for the last park run of last year. As I stood in that parking lot, it, was, uh, it wasn't hard for my imagination to see like tumbleweed uh, just, just bouncing across the parking lot. And to hear the distant call of coyotes uh, in the deserted reality that was Park Run 52, uh, 2019. I mean, no one's really expecting us to keep these, but we have to ask ourselves the question, why so little follow-through? I mean, surely there's something good about this. There seems to be something in us. um, In the words of an unknown Stoic philosopher, this is how he phrases this, inclination of our souls he says it'll come up behind me there's a there's a danger that you'll mislive despite all of your activity despite all the pleasant diversions you may have enjoyed while alive you will end up living a bad life there is in other words a danger that when you're on your deathbed and you look back and realize that you wasted your one chance at living Instead of spending your life pursuing something genuinely valuable, you squandered it because you allowed yourself to be distracted with various models that life has to offer. Why why this tendency to make promises and then not live up to them? I, I think firstly uh, we're making the wrong type of resolutions, and secondly over the wrong time period. Let me start with time period. I, I think culturally. We have this uh, like total overestimation of what we can accomplish in a year. I mean, these like, dramatic plans. I'm going to lose 203 kilograms and run the Comrades Marathon uh, like old Elihood uh, ran his marathon. Now, we, we have this tendency to over-exaggerate what we can do in one year and yet probably... Totally under exaggerate what stringing a whole lot of years together could look like in five years or 10 years or 50 years. I remember as a young Christian just reading these resolutions of Jonathan Edwards, this man of the 1700s, this revivalist preacher who took the time to articulate, I think he went a bit overboard, 70 resolutions. These weren't resolutions he was looking to knock off by March. Or October. These were governing principles that he'd live his whole life by. You ready to be spiritually intimidated? Check it number one of seventy on his list. Cool hairstyle? Think he could do with a beard. Resolved that I'll do whatever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration, without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so many myriads of ages hence, resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for good and advantage of mankind in general, resolved to do this, whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. I mean, that's not something you're getting done by March or October. Now, this is a man who is focusing his life on greatness over the course of his life. I love his number two, just getting practical. Resolved to be continually endeavoring to find out some new invention and contrivance to promote the aforementioned things. He's basically saying like, I'm really hoping something like Evernote or OneNote comes out in my lifetime in the 1700s because I'm gonna need some practical ways of living up to the, the, the great promise that I've just made. I think we tend to uh, make these kind of promises, but over the course of a year and, and, and lose track of, uh, of the glory of stringing a good year to a good year to a good year to God's ultimate glory. And maybe you've graduated, maybe you've realized this by now, I hope you have, like I think I need to stop promising to do better things and I probably need to resolve for myself to be a better kind of person that would do those kind of things. Like, like maybe what I actually need is, is to just resolve to be a more patient person or a more self-disciplined person. And, and, and I think you're on the right track. You know, you're moving away from just some stuff that you're hoping is gonna be different. Uh, the bad news is I've found so far, measured over, what, 26 days. Uh, 2020, Bruce is a lot like 2019. Bruce, he has the same inclinations. And so I'm not well set up just to do dramatic new things, but I am well set up to say, God, by your grace, would you make me a different kind of person like you've promised to do slowly and Surely. and so we live in this culture that that i think tells us this we've got these problems all around us and the solution lies within us you know if we can if we can find it within us we can live different and it can be different and yet interestingly uh, the bible summary seems to be exactly the other way around it seems to say like actually the problem is probably within us there's probably this heart that is sinful and deceitful and and, and so our hope is probably not to dig as deep as we can in that place to find a solution but maybe our of pro- the solution lies outside of us maybe it's exactly the opposite way around from how we've often thought maybe the problem is within us and the solutions lie outside of us and i want to want to mention two solutions that lie outside of us and then i want to spend the rest of my time speaking about the second one the first solution god gives us to be a new kind of person as he's promised we would be is spiritual graces see god gives us all these incredible things as as uh, the old children's church song goes read your bible pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. I mean, there are all these incredible things God gives us. He gives us His Word, He gives us uh, communion with Him in prayer, He gives us uh, the ability. To embrace some spiritual disciplines and actually do something about our progress. Not stuff that lies within us, but actually things we can take hold on of outside of us. I I wish I could speak about that today, but one of the best investments you could make this year is to read the book, The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. Just an incredible man. He's recently passed away, but lived the most incredible life, has the most amazing ability to speak about God's grace through these spiritual disciplines so this is the first uh, thing we can take hold of to make progress this year, these spiritual graces that God gives us. And here's the second one. And this is the really difficult one in our culture to take hold of. And we've been speaking about it for the last two weeks. Something that we can take hold of outside of ourselves that'll produce progress in us is to realize that we will fall hopelessly short of all of our resolutions without the people around us and embrace God's genius plan. Of community that grows us spiritually. See, you, you're probably quite comfortable with the first one in terms of the culture we live in. That's good, Bruce. I can do some things, you know. I can read my Bible more and I can I can do some prayer. I can uh, I can do that. I can I can download some podcasts in my car and I can redeem my time in the traffic. I, I think our culture is quite well wired towards that. But you may find a little bit of resistance when I say that's not enough. Like God has not wired us as people to be able to self-drive ourselves through our lives and live with significance and purpose and consistency and fruitfulness. God seems to have wired it into his world that if we're ever going to accomplish anything, of true greatness, it's going to take the people around us. It's going to take teamwork, it's going to take encouragement, it's going to take uh, accountability, it's going to take all these things that the Bible speaks about. Let me just speak a little bit about some social commentary that agrees with us, and then for the rest of the time, I'd love to unpack 1 Corinthians 13, which you may last have heard unpacked at your wedding. You see, the social commentary actually agrees that it's impossible to live a meaningful life without meaningful community. Social researcher Robert Putnam says this. The single most common finding from a half century's research on life satisfaction, not only from the U.S. but around the world. I love that. Is that happiness is best predicted by the breadth and depth of one's social connections. Please don't read social connections as number of likes on Instagram or friends on Facebook. Listen to this study that uh, came out. The references on the second slide. Social isolation is a growing ec- epidemic, one that's increasingly recognized as having dire physical, mental, and emotional consequences. A wave of new research suggests social separation is bad for us. Individuals with less social connection have disrupted sleep patterns, altered immune systems, more inflammation, and higher levels of stress hormones. One recent study showed that isolation increases the risk of heart disease by 29%, so you want to smoke in, in groups, and stroke by 32%. Sorry, this is my sabbatical energy, saying random things. Another analysis that pulled data from 70 studies, 3.4 million people found that socially isolated individuals had a 30% higher risk of dying in the next seven years, and that this effect was largest in middle age. Loneliness can accelerate cognitive decline in older adults, and isolated individuals are twice as likely to die prematurely as those with more robust social interactions. These effects start early. Socially isolated children have significantly poorer health 20 years later even after controlling for other factors. All told, loneliness is as important a risk factor for early death as obesity and smoking. Funny discovery could find a way to give us 150 points every time we hung out and had a meaningful conversation with someone over a healthy salad. John Ortberg, amazing Christian writer, also worth reading this book, The Me I Want to Be, says, more than anything, we're shaped by people some naturally help me be the best version of myself. They see the best of me when I cannot see it. They cheer me on when I grow towards it. And they get in my face when I move away from it. They encourage me when I am when I'm tempted to give up. God uses people to form people. Social commentary is widespread on the importance of community if we're gonna live the kind of lives we dream of living. But I love how the Bible wholeheartedly endorses this time and time again. We're gonna read through the whole of 1 Corinthians 13. You're gonna recognize parts of it. And as we get further, it's it's like people generally tend to dial out of the second half of the passage when uh, Paul uh, seems to be beyond the inspirational wedding stuff. Interestingly, Definitely not a piece of scripture that was written for a wedding or at a wedding, actually written to a church that's really battling to live out meaningful lives in community. And so Paul writes to these guys, and he's actually just written about spiritual gifts, and he's about to write about spiritual unity on the other side of this. And he takes this pause in the middle, and he says, I want to tell you about what's essentially missing from the mindsets and the behavior of you Corinthians. And in chapter 13, verse one, he says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, it would only be a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be Nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. I mean, this is, this is hardcore stuff that Paul, Paul is writing. He is saying that, that love is this tiny little fulcrum upon which the significance of all our acts swing. And he's basically telling us that we can go out this week and we can do the most dazzling things. I mean, we can be in the boardroom changing the world. We can be in our homes, working with our kids. We can be working out our calendars for 2020. We can be making significant financial decisions. And we can get to the end of this week. And if if love hasn't been a driving force, another week of our life gone with no lasting effect, just the illusion of significant change. Oh, We can leave this place today and do the most trivial little act of kindness out of genuine love. Perhaps bump into someone who needs a little bit of encouragement. Perhaps financially help someone in a difficult place. The Bible even says, perhaps offer a cup of water to somebody in need of a cup of water. And if love is the governing force between that one trivial, silly little act, it'll outrank everything else we do this week in terms of eternal significance. I mean, what a challenging thought to my own soul that, that, that just wants to get out there and do lots of things excellently this week. Paul's saying, watch out, watch out. Watch out, you Corinthians, who just want to prophesy from the stage and explain the magnificence of God's plan to to people. Like If you can't encounter someone over coffee in the foyer and just be kind, you're trading in temporal little moments of vanity for things that are eternally significant. And now he gets onto the wedding stuff. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I've never preached this passage at a wedding. I mean, this is setting the bar like a million miles high, and I'd find myself standing up front going, I'm going to preach something I've never managed to closely live up to. And if you could just try to do better than I have, that would be amazing. I wish I could tell you some of these words kind of meant different there, but it's, but it's rather simple. What love is all about. And that's generally where we end off 1 Corinthians 13 because now Paul gets a little bit weird. He starts speaking about being a little child and what heaven will be like one day and mirrors and all sorts of things. So let's keep going. He says, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last Forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. So important to remember that we can oversubscribe to some of these gifts sometimes. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity, All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I mean, this is the part that doesn't get preached because it just gets a little bit weird. It's like, how is all this stuff tied to those lofty statements of love? I think the key idea in these last few verses is this, but love will last forever. Um, Some translations, love is eternal. It goes beyond even this life. It's why Paul at the end says, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of them is love. Do you know that a time will come in your existence when you will entirely stop having hope and faith. I mean, the day you arrive in heaven is the day you say goodbye to faith and hope. I mean, when you see God for all that he is and you're surrounded by the perfection of all that we were meant to be, no one will ever wake up in the morning and say, I really hope that my finances make it to the end of the, right, maybe someone will, and the neighbor will be like, dude, gold paving stones, sorted. Cool, this is like Bitcoin in actual tangible form. Good luck, God bless you. Okay, no more reason to ever hope for anything. Every hope will be fulfilled. No one will ever wake up again and say, look, I just have to trust God like in his unseen form. I've got to know that he's there as I sing. uh, You're never gonna let me down. I have to do the work of reconciling that with some of my experience. (laughs) No, 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 there is God with thousands of angels falling down in front of him and his genius plan, every answer. Or uh, every question answered, every tear wiped away, there'll be no more need of faith. But all that will be left is love. You see, love, anything done in love, any investment you make in love in your life is an eternal investment. As you learn to love better, as you learn to take these lofty ambitions that are so far beyond our human possibilities and you say, God, help me to do that better. You're making an eternal investment. You're doing something that you will continue to do for the rest of eternity. And what a beautiful thing to start now and not wait for later on. And Paul offends the Corinthians because the thing that's most significant in their lives is prophecy and deep mysteries and someone getting on the stage and saying really profound things And I think it would be very different if Paul were to come into our age. There's different things that we prize in terms of significance. I mean, maybe he'd say where there's net asset value, this will pass away. Where there's internet internet connection speed and reliability, it'll be a thing of the past. Uh, Where there is a flat-screen TV size, it'll become irrelevant. And where there are holiday house options. It's only a matter of time before those mean anything. And he uses two images. He says, "Um, when I was a child, I was involved in childish things. What he is saying is all these things that seem so precious and significant and like they define the meaning of your life. You know, one day you're gonna look back and say, I was like a silly little child playing with my toys. And I thought it was so significant and I thought it was so meaningful and I thought that maybe it would count for eternity somehow. But I was like a child and Paul's inviting us along and saying there's one thing that's eternal, one thing that lasts forever. Invest in it. Devote yourself to learning what it is to love. And then he painfully defines it. Oh, it just means being patient and long-suffering and never giving up and always believing the, uh, the best in every circumstance. And, and I've personally found that really easy. Until you've involved other humans in the equation. I don't know about you. But he gives us a key. This is the final thing I want to say on the passage. You see, the Corinthians are obsessed with knowledge. Where's the secret knowledge? How could we know things that other people don't know that make us more spiritual than them? And Paul says, do you want to know about knowledge? What knowledge truly is? I want to tell you about a day when you will fully know, even as you are fully known and he changes the meaning of what it means to know you see he says one day you will fully know, and you can see, feel the corinthians leaning in. what does it mean to fully know and he says well you already kind of have a sense of it because i want to remind you that you're fully known you see knowing is not about knowing stuff but it's about knowing and being known in relationship and and, and paul reminds them this is his gospel angle he says do you know that the life you live There is one who truly knows you to the core of your soul. I mean, I know you've got Facebook and I know you've got Instagram and that's his part about the mirrors. You know, Uh, we we look in a mirror. It's a bad image for today because we've got great mirrors. In the Corinthian age, they they couldn't produce a mirror like they do today. And so you had a mirror that was kind of like one of those you see in a fun fair, you know, a little bit distorted. And so you kind of had to choose. You had to be like, okay, I can only see one part of me clearly. Okay, how's my beard? today okay Um, let's see what I'm uh, and as soon as you got away from the mirror you you couldn't see anything clearly and the truth is we live in a world like that don't we where we're known in a distorted way we're known by what we've published on Facebook and what we've put out for likes on Instagram it's a very distorted picture of who we are but there's this one person that knows us to the core of our being he knows all the stuff we don't put on Facebook you know, like the stuff, we don't wake up and go, I just thought I'd uh, really put a post on today revealing my greatest fear and deficiency, you know? Just thought I'd let you all know my greatest shame as I, as I live as a Christian and then I behaved like this last week, you know? I mean, maybe you've tried that. You would have seen your uh, friendship circle shrink way down. Don't try that. But there's one who knows us. You see, in the world we live in, we've generally got to choose one of these two options. You see, you can be loved as long as you're not fully known. Or you can be known, which generally results in not being fully loved. See, that's the, the great risk as we, as we wander through life and we expose more of who we are and we increase in intimacy. Everybody in the room would be able to tell of stories of rejection where people uh, have looked at us and in essence said, I've seen too much of you. I know about your weaknesses. you freaked me out. You've sinned against me and I'm out of here. It's over. You see, and so we live these lives where we go, I guess I prefer to be loved. And so I've just got to dial down the, the no part. It's entirely possible to do in the world we live in, thanks to technology. But Paul says, I want to show you the full extent of what heavenly love will be like. It'll be, you'll be loved to the core of your being, even as you're fully known. And This is the good news of our gospel, isn't it? And we sit in this room today fully known to the core of our being, the worst of us exposed before the eyes of a holy God. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we are absolutely loved by the Father. He delights in us as much on the days where we're at our best as the days when we're at our worst. I mean, this is the glorious gospel that we sit under in this room, fully known. Even when our baby is screaming and everyone in the church is loving us. (laughs) I think is an absolute hero, as is J.P.O. We're sitting next to them this morning and going, man, our kids have grown up quickly. And uh, these families who bring young kids along to church and some of you out there in the mom's room, I think what you do is incredible and it, it preaches so much of what we're talking about today, a high level of commitment towards community, even when it costs a whole lot. So let me turn my silly little joke into an affirmation. JP, would you like to start? No, I'm joking. <laughs> I really do. So here's the question. <laughs> what kind of people would we be and what kind of relationships would we have if we truly knew That the worst of us has been seen, and we've been loved in spite of it. This is what Paul's trying to ask the Corinthians in essence. What kind of community is available to a group of people who know that they deeply loved even at their worst? I mean, surely that has to spill out of this realm into this realm. Surely people who come together and they know the person who it's most important that I'm in good standing with in the whole universe has seen the worst of me and he's loved me. He's lavished his love upon me. He's given me hope and a future. I mean, surely those are the people who are set up to live out a magnificent reality on a horizontal scale. I think it's what Jesus meant when he said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I don't think what he's saying is, guys, just work really hard at being really nice to each other. Like you say to your kids, be nice to each other. I mean, you don't feel it. It's not in your hearts, but just do it because I've had a long day. I mean, I've heard other people say these things to their kids. (laughs) Gareth was just telling me about one the other day. Um, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Like, be really nice so that you can represent me well. I think Jesus is saying, let your theology become reality all of this benefit all of this gospel grace that has flowed towards you all of this kindness of a savior and lavish love of a father if this flow has flowed into your life don't stop short let it flow out to him but also to other people around you the greatest commandment is this love the lord your god and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself you see the second flows out of the first so Paul, he's challenging us and he's stirring us. He's saying, this is what love looks like. It's bigger than your culture. It's bigger than anything you ever could attain to unless you'd allow your soul to be flooded with it from heaven. If you'd get a picture of what love will look like one day in heaven and you'd say, God, help me to live that out now here in this reality. I think this is what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. Most of life, you're gonna to have to choose, be known or be loved, but not the church. Surely not the church. And people who have this gospel love should be able to display an entirely different type of community. I mean, think of God's goodness to us. Firstly, he creates us to be our best in authentic community. You know that that's God's mercy to you? I mean, it's inconvenient, right? Right? Imagine a God who just created us to be totally self-sufficient. We just needed a podcast, an internet connection, a car to get to work, and enough money in our bank account. And life would just be significant and meaningful and deeply fulfilling as a result of that. And God says, I'll never put that in the soul of a man or woman. I'm going to wire it into your soul. You'll never be at your best until you're living out the reality of relationships. You're needing some people and you're being needed by some people. God creates us to only be at our best in authentic community and then he gives us an environment where it's possible to experience that. I mean, it would be a really cruel God to say this is gonna be the desire of your soul and if you just wait 70 years, I'll give it to you one day in heaven. And he gives us an environment. A whole lot of people who've gone, man, I am so far from perfect. I am so far from attaining to what all those lofty statements about love But the one thing I know is I've experienced kindness and grace. And not for a single day. On a daily basis, I experience his kindness. Surely that sets me up to be part of this kind of community. So why life groups? I mean, I'll be the first to admit I'm about to take this massive leap. I've just described to you the heights of heavenly love. And how we could experience that reality if we were were to open ourselves to the possibility and Paul's challenge. How do I get to this place? You should pitch up on a weekly basis at a specific time at this address. I mean, I'll admit, that's a bit of a leap, isn't it? It's like, no, that doesn't sound very spiritual or lofty. And you should meet my leader and see their house. See their dog that attacks me. And their three-year-old. I loved what Gareth said last week. This is our way of trying to do our best to contextualize this lofty biblical call into the madness of our current reality of modern life. Okay, didn't say it exactly like that, but that's what I got as I sat there is what he was saying to us. There is this lofty call to community in the Bible, and there is this mad life that we all live that is just way too busy for this. It just doesn't have time. The, the pressure and, and trying to raise kids and set them up in this massively challenging place and take care of ourselves and make sure our marriage is okay or find a, a marriage partner or sort out our financial crisis and our debt and, and do it all again over and over and over for 10 and a half days of leave, a year or whatever it is we get to start all over again. I mean, the madness of this world has got us so far from what the Bible is really saying and, and how people in that day responded. Gareth told us last week, people, the Corinthians would have looked at this and said, this is so inspiring. How's about we just hang out before work every day? I mean, you live 300 meters from me and you live 250 meters from me. Let's meet at my place every day before work. And, like, kind of our day is limited. The sun goes down at some point. We have uh, about as much load shedding as South Africa, seeing electricity hasn't been invented yet. And so, like, when our day ends, our day ends. There's no emails and technology and e- expectation. Why don't we hang out sometimes after work? And, and, and once a week on the weekend, we'll get together. I mean, the Corinthians have this magnificent opportunity to engage what about us. And here's the truth, guys. The, the culture we live in makes this absolutely impossible. To live out in the fullness of what the Bible is asking us to do. But here's what we can do. We can find our best possible shot at contextualizing that. And I'll tell you what that is for me. And I'm pretty confident that it is for you as well. That if I don't have a specific slot in my diary on a weekly basis. That I say this is where I'm going to try and live this out. And a thousand other things are going to come and compete for that slot. But I'm going to do my utmost to silo those out into other places and say, no, 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 no. I want to live in the reality of what God created my soul to experience. No, no, I won't come and do that on that evening. I'll do it somewhere else. Or no, I just won't do that at all, as good as it sounds. See, this is our go. To so say let's do what we can. Let's, let's block out a place in our, in our diary on a weekly basis. And let's, get to know each other and let's form some real relationships so really that that, that's what this is a huge focus of ours this year i want to say to you if you're going to be part of this community this year this is where we're going to camp let's learn what it is to do life together let's figure out how life groups can create authentic community not life group for life group's sake like pitching up and debating a bible verse and going home and not getting to know anyone or whatever it is in its worst form no, let's figure this out. Let's figure out how single moms who have no time in the world can maybe get into something that doesn't meet on a Wednesday night that's like, welcome to the impossible. Like, walking on water would be easier than asking me to pitch up there. Let's figure out how working people who travel all over the world can somehow find each other and still build. And this has to be true. If Paul says this is eternal, this is the only thing, even faith and hope are going are to pass away, but this thing is going to remain. Let's do the work of figuring out how we can do this well, and that's going to look different for different groups of people. And over the weeks to come, we're going to just speak to some people. I've already just been so encouraged as we've put this forward as a priority, just hearing some life group leaders say, hey, we are maybe going to do things a little bit differently, how we meet and when we meet, and, and that to, to continue to promote consistency and regularity and make this doable for people. At the same time, we're just gonna ask um, uh, that a whole lot of us just up the value of this reality and make sure we're building something. I'm gonna close off in a couple of minutes. My first sermon of the year and I'm running ahead of time by four minutes. I mean, long may it continue. (laughs) But I wanna encourage those of you in life groups already Like maybe the problem is that we're moving too fast. I think we have these kind of like Christian cultures and we come into a church and then we join a life group, like we maybe look through the book and that one's in our area and we go along and everyone says, hey, this is John and Jenny and we dive into a scripture and we debate what the meaning of that is and someone says the Greek word actually means this and another person says, I've never really liked this and um, and we're going like, I don't even know who you are. Like maybe the problem is that we're just moving way too fast with way too much momentum. And maybe a whole lot of life groups. This is an idea of mine. A friend of mine this weekend, one of our other common ground congregations said, we're just slowing things right down for the next term. We're not going to get beyond just getting together over a meal and understanding each other's lives. What's brought us from where we started life to this point where we are now? Can we answer these sort of questions about each other? Do we really know each other? If the Bible's thing is in in 1 Corinthians is, then you will be known even as you are fully known. Are we even living in the shallow waters of that? Can we answer this about the people that sit around us in Christian community? What has shaped you? What pain have you experienced in your life that has helped form you into the person you currently are? What are the biggest joys and the moments where you've experienced true fulfillment in life? What are your hopes? What's truly disappointed you? As we sing, you're never gonna let me down. What are the things in your life that make it really difficult to sing those words as you wrestle to understand a faithful God and your situation? Does anyone know this sort of stuff about you? I mean, how are we going to live in real community and do significant things in this community? People have someone sitting right next to them. They don't know what they're hoping for out of their life and what's disappointed them and what they're fearful of in the group in terms of previous uh, letdowns. But they know the Greek meaning of the word for community is kenonia and all the spiritual implications. I want to encourage us as life groups this year, if you already exist as a life group, Make, it, make every effort to really get to know each other and really get to delve into the, the depth of what Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13 is saying. I want to encourage those of you not in a life group. I tell you, it's time to engage. Maybe you've never been in a life group. You've just not quite got there in the busyness of life. It's time to engage. It's time to level up in what Paul is saying is a deep need of your soul. And something that'll continually hold you back from fully living out, whatever it is you believe you should fully be living out. It's time to engage. Maybe you just, you were in one, but stuff got complicated or you got hurt or you just got busy or you hit a specific life stage. It's time to engage again. It's time to drink of the fullness of what gospel community has to offer. I've got good news for you. In three weeks time, on a Wednesday night, we're not gonna be having life groups that week, And we're going to be all getting together in this hall. And as a pastoral team, we're going to be unpacking what our dream is for these times. And so you can hear I'm already in that zone and I'm I'm thinking and I'm kind of salivating at what the goodness of life group could be like. And we're just gonna refresh, those of you who've been in life groups for the last 203 years, uh, those of you who haven't for a while, those of you that have never, we're gonna get in a room together and we're gonna say, God, if you're serious about this stuff, God, if you're serious about community, this is our attempt to dial into it well. And this is us getting on a common page to make sure that your name is glorified, that our souls are satisfied and that our community is done good because we're living vitally connected lives. And then lastly, I want to encourage people who who may feel a call to lead and to host one of these. Uh, Kicking off tomorrow night, uh, we're going to be doing three Mondays in a row, where we're just going to be looking at what it is. We're going to be training life group leaders. We're asking all our current life group leaders to come along and uh, to just freshly get on the page, to freshly say, hey, God, I've been doing this a while, and I want to allow just uh, expectation and faith to fill my heart. And uh, I want to go into this season, just recalibrate it on the same page as uh, the rest of the people in my congregation. Maybe uh, you've done that before. Maybe you're brand new. Put down your name at the involvement desk today and come along. Don't worry, that's not you signing up. I'm now going to be leading a life group and my address will be given out to random people. That's just you saying, hey, I want to come check it out. I just want to feel what that's about. I want to experience what you guys are about in terms of life group leadership. We'd love to have you. I think there's 40, 45 people already signed up for that. It'd be lovely to have some more in the room. That's between our AM and PM. would love to see a whole lot of people, some of whom will lead, some of whom will just say, I'm just more envisioned than ever at what a life group can be. I'm going to ask us all to stand together. And I'm going to close in prayer. But I've just been freshly struck by by the fact that Jesus Christ himself lives in the fullness of this. When Jesus Christ comes to earth, it's an incredible truth that he surrounds himself with a group of people. And he says, we are going to impact this world together. I don't know about you, but I have this, this inward idea but he's doing that for their sake and not his. I mean, Savior of the world and 12 dwarf Oaks who uh, don't know much about spirituality. I mean, this is not, not to like fulfill Jesus' needs, surely. I mean, this is about him imparting his saviorly presence into all of them and helping them. Surely the saviour of the world doesn't need this. And we find out, and this is not true at all, that even the saviour of the world in the mystery of his human need is about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, you and you, please come with me. My darkest hour has come, and I need you. I need you there. I'm gonna go pray to my father, but I can't do this alone. You see, life sometimes just gets too much. It just gets too overwhelming that even somehow in God's mystery, the savior of the world says, I, I need you. And to their shame, they go along and they mess it up. And he demonstrates communal, a community grace. And he forgives them. And, and later on, he finds himself at, at, at the Great Commission where he says the same thing to them again. You, you thought this was just about you needing me. But I need you. I need you to go into all the world. I've got all authority in heaven and on earth. But I'm going back to heaven now. And there's some people here that need earthly presence. They need love that has hands and feet and flesh on it. So all authority has been given to me, but right now I say to you, I need you. I need you to go into all the world and I need you to preach the gospel and to baptize and to teach people to obey as I have with you. If the greatest one who ever walked this planet fundamentally recognized the need to gather himself into community, I'm just hoping that today would be a moment for many of us just to, just to allow our hearts to be open in front of God again. To say, God, I need this. I really need this. Maybe I've still got some questions about whether the life group can truly give that or I've got some bad, whatever. But in some way, shape or form, there's, there, there's something in my heart that cries out for a greater depth of this. Let's pray together. God, we wanna thank you for your goodness towards us. It, it can be hard to say at times, but thank you, God, that you created us not to be able to flourish in life without some people around us. <laughs> we know the sinful tendency of, of our hearts. We've tried and we would probably spend all of our life trying if that were an option. Thank you that you've created us for community. And thank you so much that you've given us an opportunity and an environment to figure this out, even as we take baby steps and fail at times and sin against each other and offend each other and let each other down. We want to thank you that everything done in love, everything done out of a motivation of wanting good for others never fails and perseveres on to have eternal consequence. God, we present to you the frailty of our actions, the inconsistency of our hearts, the inconsistency of our diaries, and we ask that grace would come upon us as a community to just live out a greater fullness of what you created our hearts for, for the glory of your name, so that you could be seen, so that this, this amazing vertical love could be discerned in the horizontal by some people around us. And they could say, isn't he magnificent? Isn't he gracious? And God also so that we could do this community good, so that we could go out and not just get our week done in terms of our responsibilities, but we could get our week done in terms of being spurred on to love and good deeds as we encourage one another on a regular basis for the glory of your name. Amen. We're done for the morning. It's been so good. Uh, Like I say, our souls are just singing, being back in community and looking forward to catching up with so many. God bless you. Have a fantastic week. Come along tomorrow night if you'd like to uh, see what uh, leadership is about. And uh, we'll make sure that we just get out uh, in the weekly, the, the, the dates specifically of that Wednesday night. We're all gonna be getting together and just getting on the same page.